This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We welcome you to Real Talk on this uh, April 19th, which is a great reminder right out of the gates uh, for us to let you know that tomorrow, an April 20th or 420 edition of Real Ooh. Talk, yeah, that's right, Johnny, is going to feature uh, health mythbuster Professor Tim Caulfield, who says that CBD, the cannabis uh, extract, is getting too much credit. Too much. He says that the evidence shows that uh, CBD is getting too much credit oh. uh, for helping people with things like uh, sleep deprivation or appetite suppressant or, or uh, you know, what have you. A lot of people are using CBD uh, for a more holistic approach to their health care. Uh, Professor Caulfield's going to come on here and, uh, and, and lay out for us the evidence that shows that maybe some of that might be a bit more of a placebo effect than people oh, really? think. That's now all the cannabis users are going to go. Are you seriously going to use 420 <laughs> to, to take a, a big steaming pile on top of all of the progress that's been made in the stigma busting and the advancements in, in cannabis and health and all that? And then to you, we say, fear not. We will also bring on one of Canada's most prominent cannabis advocates and entrepreneurs. I'm excited to welcome Jody Emery to the program All tomorrow. Right. Uh, she's the CEO uh, at Jody's Joints, and we're going to have a great mm-hmm. conversation with her. So that's coming up on a 420 edition of Real Talk. That's tomorrow. Today, political enemies and drinking buddies. Uh, this is one of the most legendary relationships in Western Canadian politics, a friendship that uh, didn't let political differences get in the way. Though you'd never know they were buddies when they were sparring in the Alberta legislature. Thomas Lukasik was a senior cabinet minister, deputy premier uh, for a time under the PCs, the progressive conservatives under uh, Premier Allison Redford. Brian Mason for many years led the Alberta NDP and they took big swipes at each other. But then they'd hang out after and share a few laughs. And we wonder if that civility is even possible in politics anymore. That's coming up in just a couple of seconds. Adam Sweet will also join us from Clean Prosperity. We're going to talk about what he expects will be a massive wave of new investment, employment opportunities in Western Canada, in Alberta in particular, with hydrogen. We're going to talk about clean energy we have rumblings. A little birdie has let us know that the province of Alberta, the government, will be announcing its new climate plan today. We're talking about Wednesday, April 19th. We don't have the details yet, but we'll get into that as best we can. And of course, tomorrow uh, we'll follow up, although tomorrow might be a little bit bit of a hazy. Maybe on Friday we'll talk about the climate plan. Hazy. We will be talking about some emissions, if you know what I mean, tomorrow yeah. on 420. Uh, this episode is presented by our good friends at We Know Training, and we're using these first First couple of weeks in this partnership to let you know what they're all about. We Know Training is the trusted partner to literally hundreds of organizations that operate in regulated spaces. And so they're working with nonprofits, associations, regulators where standards are high. Training has to meet complex needs and compliance requirements. Uh, we Know Training's platform is designed to uphold rigorous privacy standards. They provide learner verification and, of course, compl- uh, completion certificates and digital badges. Uh, They deliver high-value training that learners will retain in crucial, real-life situations. If you're in charge of making decisions at an association or a nonprofit, and you'd like to take the stress out of serving your members, uh, you want to streamline, scale, and automate your training without added headcount or headache, 
look to We Know Training, a mission-driven organization with a small but passionate team, the best possible e-learning experience at a reasonable price. You can learn more today at weknowtraining.ca. For many years, uh, these two locked horns at the Alberta legislature, uh, their years of uh, public service, uh, of course, legendary in some contexts as they would go head to head. But maybe not a lot of people knew that the leader of Alberta's NDP and the deputy premier for the PCs were actually great pals. And as we understand it, remain so till this day, but let's find out. Thomas Lukasik, former PC deputy premier, Brian Mason, former NDP leader, both joining us live. It's great to see both of your faces. Thank you for making time for us. Uh, Brian, you woke up earlier. You're out on the West Coast now. Is that right? Oh, I know. It's an hour earlier here. You know, these mornings are why I gave up bus driving. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I should have been former bus driver, former Edmonton city councilor. You've got a, a long career. Uh, Thomas, it's great to see you again. This this interview was celebrated yesterday by longtime political commentator Kathleen Smith, Kiki Planet, who said these are the most legendary eyebrows in the legislature colliding with the best haircut in Alberta's political history. And, and I see you've kept your quaff. Morning to you. You know what? Don't worry. Brian always looked this tired, so I'm used to it. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, a lot of people are looking forward to seeing the two of you back in action. Johnny, can you show me the tweet that we received from Ian I Donovan? Was- you nap- napping a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that. Check this out from former Wild Rose MLA Ian Donovan, who was uh, letting us know that he was going to be catching this interview when we announced it yesterday. He said, this is how politics should be. You got to agree to disagree respectfully donovan says this was the old days uh, brian take us back to that time was it was it dramatically different than than what we're seeing now or, or am i just seeing the past through rose-colored glasses yeah no it was it was different um because i think that um uh, the pc party was different from what you see from the ucp now and uh i think that's that's really different and, and when I was in government and the UCP formed under Kenny, the tone changed quite a bit. Um, and uh, it, it, it's it's a different, they're a different cat than the PCs. The PCs were, had lots of problems and I don't take back a word I ever said, um, but we at least agreed on a common framework. We agreed on, you know, democratic elections and respect for the rule of law. And if you lost an election, you would, you know, you acknowledged it and 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 got out of the way. I mean, there was there was a, a, a common set of a framework, you know, that we that we both shared that made possible to uh, to contest with each other, um, you know, in a slightly better um, way than is is the case today. Uh, Thomas, would you would you agree with that assessment? Is is it the conservatives that have changed, and and that's what's altered the dynamic, the political dynamic at the legislature? Oh, very much so. You know, uh, when we were in the legislature, there was certain sanctity to to the building and particularly to the chamber in which we sat. Um, we would respect each other's offices. So even if we disagreed, we knew we had a role to play and, and there was respect for the office. And uh, during the committee session, part of the passing of the bill where MLAs get to sit anywhere in the House, uh, it was very common for for Brian or other opposition members to come across and sit down next to a, a cabinet minister. Or I would go across and sit next to Rachel or Brian or somebody else and and just chit chat and you know how ask how is your family, how are kids, how are things in your writing. Um, so it wasn't visceral, it wasn't personal. 
Um, and I agree um, with Brian. And I would even take it back a little further. I think when Wild Rose got into the legislature, um, we turned into this sort of populist gotcha politics where um, they would always just watch you and see if, if you slip on anything and, and your your personal life was at play um, just, you know, just to score a cheap political point. So, so then the trust started to... Uh, uh, to disappear. A few of us held on to it and, and, you know, Brian and I still get to see each other once in a while, but that's really rare right now. I've been uh, enjoying going back and, and, and reading some of the interviews and features that were written about the both of you. And I mean, you know, there, there, there's 10 years uh, between now and when these went. Uh, I read Jackie Larson's piece for the Edmonton Sun uh, describing this friendly rivalry. There's a hilarious feature from uh, now Senator Paula Simons, obviously a columnist uh, with Post Media with the Edmonton Journal at the time. T for two, she describes you as uh, Alberta's odd couple in politics. Uh, she references uh, you, Brian, referring to Thomas uh, at the time the deputy premier as a decorative hood ornament uh, to yes. which Thomas replied that you were more like the legislature's tailpipe uh, it, uh-huh. it, it, this just <laughs> came, this just came naturally to the two of you hey but but there, there was sort of like this 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 friendliness uh, but at the same time uh, you two weren't afraid to, to chuck spears at one another oh no no Thomas was made uh, Redford made Thomas her uh her deputy premier after she won the election and um but gave him no responsibilities or at least none no official responsibilities so that's why i uh, called him a hood ornament Thomas. And my res- my responsibility was dealing with you and since you were blowing a lot of smoke in the legislature <laughs> tailpipe seemed like a good auto part <laughs> yeah the- well, uh, let's i'd be curious to know where the both of you are at uh, right now with this election we've got an engaged audience i don't have to tell you on the live chat right now and people are saying well listen with with thomas all but endorsing the ndp for this upcoming election it shows just how drastically things have changed uh, thomas you're not the only conservative who's who's going on the record and saying they're going to vote differently than they would have in past. How does it get to that point? And I hope that there will be more. And, and, and you know, that that's sort of uh, taking it from what Brian said. Uh, just because UCP has the word conservative in their name, uh, it doesn't mean that they have anything to do uh, with the legacy of the progressive conservative party. You know, we, we managed to have a, a balance within our caucus. There were sort of forces playing against each other. So in our caucus, you would have... Uh, uh, you know, fellas uh, uh, such as Lloyd Snellgrove or, or, or you know, some very ultra right wingers. But then we had Dave Hancock and 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 Doug Griffiths and myself sort of balancing things out. Uh, right now, all you have is is the remaining parts of the sort of ultra conservative faction of the PC party without any um, balancing within. Uh, plus, you know, UCP really does not reflect the values of Albertans and 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 the damage that can they they are causing and can potentially cause if, if they win another election uh, could be irreparable. So some of us are making a difficult choice, and and you know, don't get this wrong. NDP is not exactly the flavor of choice, but I do believe that Rachel Notley has what it takes to lead a a much better government for the province of Alberta than Danielle Smith um, could possibly.
Thomas, you uh, obviously uh, had participated in a trade mission to China, and uh, you had pre- you had presented uh, Mr. Mason in the legislature. You remember this, Brian? Uh, oh, very a, a, well. a teapot with with uh, yeah. Chinese art on it. Uh, you you described it as socialist paraphernalia. Uh, the set uh, came with four cups, uh, but at the time, of course, only two elected MLAs. You said you only needed to give them two cups at the time. Uh, Twenty fifteen comes along, now led by Rachel Notley. The party wins. 54 seats and is now uh, polling quite interestingly in Calgary, looking like it could make a run at forming government again. How would you describe today's NDP as different from or similar to the NDP that you led for many years? Oh, I don't think it's that different, right? I I think the conservative party has morphed into something completely different than it was. Um, uh, but I think the NDP that I led, the NDP that Rachel led, very similar in terms of the values and things. But obviously, you develop as you, if you become a government, um, you know, you develop in lots of ways. And the party today is much bigger and stronger um, than it was in my day. And uh, I don't think that's fundamentally changed um, the policies or the or the political direction. So, Thomas, do you think that's why? You and Brian were able to to have fun with one another and to get along so well because, you know, no offense intended, Brian, but at the time, the NDs just simply weren't a threat to your government? I wouldn't say so. Uh, You know, uh, uh, there was a sense of uh, personal uh, respect. Uh, I like Brian as as a guy, so, so we got along very well. Um, and, and there was never any doubt in my mind that that even often I disagreed with Brian on issues um, that he is coming from a good place that that he ultimately wants to leave this province as a, as a better place uh, for all of us. Uh, he may have a somewhat different approach, but um, but but you listen to his comments. Sometimes you integrated them into into your policy. Um, but there was uh, there there was the, this respect that I talked about. Um, so we were able to to build on that. We don't see that in the legislature right now. I, I don't see any of these sort of partnerships or um, or, or friendships across the aisle. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, I don't see them even within the UCP caucus um, <laughs> anymore. Yeah. It's a it's a yeah. it's a it's a quite a internally divided group yeah. um, as well. So an NDP, you know, when when Rachel formed government, uh, I, I think her first year was a difficult year for her. She had a whole bunch of newbies. Um, and and it's different to be in opposition than it is in government. The reality sets in. You have to start making difficult decisions and be accountable for them. Uh, you have a certain budget within which you have to operate. So, you know, towards the second half of her premiership, as Danielle Smith said, uh, she was leading like a, like a Lockheed type like of a government. Lockheed, yeah. So, you know, me and my, many of my XPC colleagues, when we would watch Rachel Notley make decisions, we would quietly say to each other, you know what, we, we would probably make the same decision because once you know the reality of government, she was making rational, um, evidence-based decisions. And, and that is why I think um, Danielle Smith is, is regretting admitting to it, but, but um, she herself admitted that uh, Rachel Notley was very much as a premier uh, what uh, what Lockheed is remembered for. Let me ask you this then, Thomas, in follow-up, because y- y- you made a comment just about five minutes ago, something along the lines of, uh, you implied that maybe the NDP is not your 
perfect choice. Uh, you didn't say it, but you made it sound like you're, you're going to plug your nose and vote just a little bit if you're going to vote for the NDs. <clears throat> All the jokes about the, the Chinese teapot and the socialist agenda, it is a supercharged word in politics these days. What is it about today's NDP that, that raises red flags with you? What is it that you will begrudgingly support with your vote? And then, Brian, I'd be curious for your take on it, too. Well, you know, there are certain policies uh, that we that we always disagreed on, but but they were not fundamental. Um, you know, uh, I, I tend to be a little bit more uh, private, free enterprise, uh, more oriented, uh, and less interventionist in in, in government policy uh, and, and and economics. Uh, I think we are very well aligned on social issues, uh, so there isn't a problem. So there probably matters of economy uh, and approach to business is, is where, where there are some differences. But I can tell you that most um, historical PC supporters are much closer to NDP than we are to the current UCP. Uh, you know, uh, NDP is, is, is left of center, whereas um, UCP is somewhere in the hinterland, far off, uh, you know, from from the right. Um, so if you have to hold your nose, it will be much easier for me to vote for NDP uh, than it is um, than it is for UCP. And and you know, I, I always use this litmus test: uh, whom would I leave my children with? Uh, whom would I trust my mother's healthcare system to? Uh, if I was lying in hospital and I needed help, would I pick up a phone and call Rachel, or would I call Danielle? And, and I would find it much easier to relate to Rachel. And I think Rachel finds it much, e- much easier to relate to average Albertans. And, and that's what you ultimately want in your government. Your government should be reflecting you. Uh, and and I, I just find it hard to believe that the things that Danielle Smith does and says uh, reflect what Albertans honestly believe in. Uh, Brian, I've been accused of oversimplifying complex scenarios in past, but, but I'm foreseeing this election campaign as... As, as Albertans being asked perhaps what's most important to them or, or what they value more. And I think it's probably obvious uh, that Rachel Notley and the NDP will campaign on health care. And I think it's probably obvious that the United Conservatives, led by Danielle Smith, will campaign on jobs and the economy. How does the NDP convince Albertans that they can be trusted with the economy? Well, I think they've gone a long way, and I'm really pleased to see this. Uh, they they engaged uh, Todd Hirsch, the former chief uh, economist for Alberta Treasury branches, and, and very respected economist, um, to to do work for them to develop uh, uh, a series of proposals and so on with respect to the economy. And he's done that, and Rachel and the NDP have accepted those those things, um, and and they're now part of the part of the policy. Uh, as they go forward in, into the election. So I think that's gone a, a very f- a long way. Uh, Rachel spoke yesterday to the Calgary Chamber of Commerce. So did Danielle Smith. Uh, Rachel was very well received, and I don't think that was really the case with um, with Danielle Smith. Um, so, you know, we've developed a more practical approach to things, less a little bit less ideological, and, you know, if there's any development there. I have to say, though, Thomas is not the same guy that he was back when I used to uh, hammer away at him. Uh, he's um, he's uh, developed um, politically in a different, slightly different direction. So he's not nearly as bad. And, you know, I don't want to sugarcoat the PCs. You know, I really don't want to sugarcoat them. They were bad. 
And we attacked, we went after them really hard. You know, they they wanted to privatize healthcare. They made cutbacks in the public sector. There were cuts in education. You know, there was a whole bunch of stuff, and people uh, finally, you know, had enough, and 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 for very good reason. But that's not the Thomas that we see today. I don't. That's, I don't think so. Um, uh, and uh, I think. Uh, um, you know, the progressive conservatives um, of that day are are generally more open to these kind of ideas. I also want to lay to rest the idea that um, the current UCP is just the same old people that were in the right wing of the progressive conservative uh, party. I don't think with Kenny's uh, demise, I don't think that's true anymore. This is this is really um, uh, a takeover by take back Alberta and these are the the um the blockaders these are the convoy people these are Trump people and they've taken over now uh the UCP and so we're into a whole different um uh, level of right-wing uh crap that's that's um in the UCP now then even guys like uh Thomas mentioned Lloyd Snellgrove and some of the rest of them uh, from the old conservative caucus. That's uh, Thomas, quite a compliment coming from Brian that you're not nearly as bad as you used to be. It, it, it reminds <laughs> me when my, my dad bought my sister in a shopping mall once uh, a cookie from, from one of these cookie booths in the food court. And he said, uh, are these cookies as good as mom's? And my sister said, no, they're worse, uh, which was always something that, that made us smile. Do you agree with Brian's assessment of the UCP right now? I mean, he's talking about Trumpian policy. He's talking about the convoy, the blockades. Uh, I mean, if, if that is indeed the case and if that is indeed how Albertans perceive the party, it'd be tough to follow up with another million vote performance uh, like they had in 2019. I would say that, no, Brian just hasn't evolved. He still doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I was no, right you know what? Brian, Brian makes a I'm lot right of sense. Now. <laughs> Brian makes a lot of sense. You know, what you saw from us as PCs um, at the end, what Brian got to see, uh, was a final product of compromise that would happen in caucus. So, so you had fellas like me and, and, and many others who in caucus would, would fight uh, for policies with guys like Ted Morton and, and, and a few others. And at the end, you would end up with this sort of compromise that everybody was equally unhappy with. Uh, then after a while, they, they, they formed sort of a new party, the Wild Rose. And, and there was a, a little bit of a cleansing pro process within the PC party. Because you know all the sort of ultra right wing nut bars uh, ended up in uh, in the Wild Rose Party, and that's sort of how it started building building on. But but this current UCP is even wilder than the Wild Rose was, uh, because now there are sort of um, elements of anarchy uh, setting in. Um, which the Wild Rose still didn't have at that point in time. So Thomas, it's, it's, what would be an really... example of that? People would say, well, what do you what do you mean, Thomas? Like, instead of just throwing hand grenades, give us an example of what you're talking about. Anarchy is a, a loaded word to use. Well, you, you know, you, 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 you saw elected members supporting convoys, which 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 were militant and, and out of which criminal charges are, are being charged, where, where weapons were involved. You know, you would never have elected members of any political party uh, 10, 15 years ago, engaging in, in, in those kinds of, you know, very radical activities. Uh, you have total disregard uh, for the chamber, you know, the, the things that are happening in the chamber right now, uh, you know, with, with Kenny passing out uh, earplugs, 
uh, you know, the, the, the speaker's role is, is really diminished in the house. There's, there is no sanctity uh, uh, for what, what happens in the chamber. Uh, this this uh, this uh, this undermining of media. You know, media used to play a very important role, and you either hated them or loved them. But the fact is, you knew that they had a job to do. Uh, you answered their questions, and and they would uh, they would play a critical role. Right now, there's you know sort of total disregard uh, for the role that media plays. So so it, 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 it's a, it's a very different atmosphere. When when Brian and I were there, we as he said at the outset of his comments, we played by very certain fundamental principles that that we have a system within which we have to operate we have to respect the system and 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 those those was the box this was the box within which we had to function uh, now they they don't care uh, about uh, about any standards as a matter of fact uh, you know the trend right now is to to undermine expertise uh, don't listen to experts uh, listen to us uh, don't listen to uh, medical advisors. Uh, don't listen to bureaucracy. That actually, that's where the knowledge resides. Um, it's um, it, it's it's a process to to under, undermine the whole the whole structure that within you know that makes us a country that makes us a, a democracy. Gentlemen, don't go anywhere. Uh, we're talking to Thomas Lukasik and Brian Mason, former PC senior cabinet minister, former deputy premier, and of course, uh, the former NDP leader. When we come back uh, in two minutes, I want to get to Jill's comment. Jill's uh, wondering about the political center, the political moderates. What did the Alberta party do wrong? I want to circle back on Brian's comment about how the PCs weren't all that great. Let's talk about privatizing health care. These two can talk inside baseball on that. We'll talk about Premier Daniel Smith's relationship with the media she says one question and one question only from reporters no follow-ups and alberta releasing its new climate plan today how does alberta have that taken seriously by the rest of canada and the international community more with those two in just a second this conversation is presented by athaska university it's canada's open university with world-class accredited online programs and courses that are offering you the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. You know, you're feeling down and out under the weather. Maybe you want to take a family vacation. You want to leave for a week or two weeks. You're not falling behind in your courses because you are dictating the pace at which you complete the work. And it goes in the other direction as well. You want to fast forward through and really hammer down on an undergraduate degree or maybe a certification. You can do that too. Regardless of what we're talking about, energy, the environment, human resources, political science, healthcare, you name it, there's a fit for you and a future career lying in wait at the Athabasca University. AthabascaU.ca is where you can go to learn more about the admissions process. And of course, we're going to be featuring some expert voices from AU in the weeks leading up to Alberta's election. Johnny, can you show me that Dairy Queen Instagram post? I wanted to remind people of the resources that you can find at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Look at this custom Edmonton Oilers Dairy Queen playoff-themed ice cream cake. Anything better to bring to a playoff party? The answer is no. It's layers of celebration with DQ cake, the design you want. Of course, with that famous Dairy Queen soft serve, that fudgy, crunchy, chocolatey middle. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I go straight for that chocolatey middle when I'm hitting up a Dairy Queen cake. It's the perfect way to celebrate any occasion, including playoffs. It's happiness however you want it. Uh, from the Dairy Queens of Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Are you an electrician? 
an apprentice, or somebody who's always been looking to work in the emerging field of green energy, you want to help Alberta, Western Canada, and the entire country reach its sustainability goals, Kubi Energy is hiring right now. You can get the details online at kubienergy.ca. It's their busiest season, early spring into summer. That means all hands on deck. If you're passionate about making a positive impact on the environment, Kubi is looking for apprentices and journey persons in both Edmonton and Calgary. You can check out kubienergy.ca to learn more about open positions. And if you are going solar, you're going to want to make sure that you have that investment pay off in a number of different ways. And that includes the Solar Club with Park Power. It's Alberta's friendly local utilities provider. Electricity, natural gas, and internet is their game. And here's how it works on the solar front. You sign up for their solar club, and in the summer months, with lots of sunshine, when your system's giving you a little more juice than you actually need, uh, Park Power makes it so you can sell it back to the grid with more reimbursement. That's more money in your pocket than the big guys are giving. Don't believe me? Check it out for yourself at parkpower.ca. And don't forget, when you bundle services, you can save up to $150 off your first bill by using the promo code REALTALK23 at parkpower.ca. We're hanging out with uh, veteran politicians Brian Mason, former leader of Alberta's NDP, and Thomas Lukasik, former deputy premier with the Progressive Conservatives. Uh, We've got a comment here from Jill, who's watching us live on the YouTube stream. He he says there was a huge missed opportunity for the Alberta party uh, to label itself as conservative, small c, and to take some of the more progressive MLAs over to their party. Uh, Thomas, they tried. They headed into the 2019 election with four MLAs-ish. Of course, a leadership change. There were a lot of balls in the air and a lot of dynamics at play, but ultimately a disappointing result in 2019. And and now, quite frankly, nobody's even talking about the Alberta party when it comes to the horses in this race for 2023. Uh, What do you think happened, Thomas? What do you think went wrong? You know, too many false starts. And 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 in politics, like in business, you know, if if you if you uh, ignite and you fail one or tw- once or twice, uh, after a while, um, people lose confidence in you. So the Alberta Party, and I know there are some good people in there, and they won't be happy to hear me say it, but it became more of a, a, a coffee club to discuss politics, but it's not taken seriously as a political party. Um, their leader, nice guy, but it's not garnering a lot of media attention. Uh, their policies. Uh, uh, nobody even knows what their policies are, so it's hard to even tell if they resonate with uh, with Albertans. So it's not a meaningful political party. And, and right now, it's it's sort of a little bit of noise, and, and they may be splitting some votes in some writings, but I don't even think it'll be significant enough to make a, a difference in, in the outcome. Um, if, if there ever was a need for, for another party, um, somewhere between the NDP and, and, and the UCP, um, it, they would ha- it would take time to build it together. They would have to have some serious policies to, to put forward. Um, Alberta Party right now is, is not a player. Brian, obviously you're going to support the NDP. Obviously you're going to tell us why everybody should f- vote for the NDP. But let me ask you this. Is there value to having more than just two parties going back and forth in the legislature? Is there value to having a third perspective represented? Well, in theory, I I think so. You know, I I have no objection to a multi-party system at all. Um, 
But right now we're faced with a sort of an existential dilemma. You know, are you going to let the UCP take over and completely dismantle the uh, the the uh, health and uh, you know all of the systems democracy respect for the rule of law public uh, health care and education and so on you know or you're going to unite to try and stop them and so i think in this particular election it's really important that everybody um come together and the party that's positioned to do that and the party frankly that occupies not just sort of the left but occupies much of the center where the where the alberta party uh wants to be is is the ndp so um right now i'd have to say and i know the alberta party people won't like this but a vote for the alberta party is uh, a vote for uh daniel smith thomas bryan says that back in the day you were working to privatize health care it's obviously a hot button issue i've been honest on this show and in my perspective which is i think that we need to look for different solutions and i think we need to to step outside of 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 what we've always done to try to address things like wait times every time i muse about things like private delivery on surgeries and the like we are flooded with angry emails i get that it's something that canadians care about very deeply and it's obvious that Daniel Smith, as Premier of Alberta, recognizes this as well. Signing one of those big sort of placard attention grabbing photo op type scenarios, a health care guarantee, just like Jason <laughs> Kenney did four years ago, where she promised that Albertans would never have to pay to go see their family doctor. The image we're showing our YouTube viewers right now, this iconic shot by Jason Franson, uh, shot at a healthcare facility just about a week ago of an unidentified healthcare worker who appears to be flipping the bird to the premier. This is a hot button issue right now. How accurate is it that the PCs back in the day were open to privatizing some healthcare delivery? And what are your thoughts on it now, let's say 10 years later? Well, what Danielle Smith is proposing and, and what we were talking about are, are really two different things. Uh, and I know Brian then disagreed, but um, we believed, and I, and I still firmly believe, that there is room for private delivery of services in, in private facilities, but 100% paid for by Alberta Healthcare uh, in a manner in which the resources, that is the medical doctors and professionals, do not compete with the public delivery. Now, the problem is that we simply don't have enough healthcare providers at this point in time uh, not to create a competition. If you allow for more private facilities, th- those facilities will simply bleed uh, doctors uh, from from hospitals and, and, and public clinics. So uh, in, in a time when there is a shortage of physicians, that is not an option. Second of all, what Danielle Smith is talking about is actually paying with your visa card for care. You know, she she's on the record saying, should your annual check, uh, medical checkup with your doctor be 100% covered um, by uh, uh, by Alberta healthcare system, she doesn't believe in annual medical check and sort of a pr- proactive, preventative type of medicine diagnosing conditions early. You know, she 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 believes that um, you are at fault if you allow your cancer to get to the fourth stage, and you know, and it goes on and on. So so her vision for healthcare is a economically uh, not not based, grounded in, in 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 any theories uh, but her understanding of of the actual practice of health and and and, and curing people uh is 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 totally out of whack with with any physician would tell you but but i believe that you know and even rachel notley as a premier will have to make some difficult decisions uh relevant to facilities you know can we deliver with public funds 
um, care in private facilities or, or do we have to build additional facilities ourselves? Uh, but those should not be two competing systems. They should be two supplementing each other's systems. Uh, Brian, I, I can your, your your body language for the benefit yeah, of people yeah. listening to this on the podcast. Brian's twitching. You're, you're, you're twitching. <laughs> you're twitching at the mere suggestion that there might be an opportunity to explore here. Let me ask you. A, 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 you know, here's the fastball. It, is the NDP too ideologically handcuffed to be able to investigate other methods that that's, could prove to be totally beneficial. loaded question Ryan. of course i, I promised I mean, you it would like, be good question ryan thanks good thomas <laughs> look um you know i appreciate the the uh, desire to have innovation and to to make changes and i think that's all a really good thing but the idea that you go to a private delivery model to get that innovation is where the mistake is. If you have private delivery, you're adding a whole layer of profit that increases the cost to the healthcare system. You're also in giving incentives to uh, the healthcare providers to cut costs because it's a now a for-profit uh, business. And Thomas has already alluded to the fact that the competing private sector models take resources away from public health care. So no, I don't think that it's an ideologically rigid position. I think it's practical and well proven. The research that exists shows clearly that publicly delivered public health care provides better outcomes than private health care models. So by all means, we need innovation. One of the in, in innovations I'd like to mention is one that the PCs brought in, actually. Um, and uh, and that was to have a centralized uh, waiting list for certain surgeries. And that meant that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily just go to the, the one doctor that you might have been referred to for the surgery, but that there was a central waiting list. And this improved wait times substantially. You know, those are the kinds of innovations I think that, um, that we need to see uh, more of. Um, but uh, introducing health, private health care is just going to increase costs in what's already the biggest budget in in any provincial government's um, um, budget, you know. It's so, huge. so I mean, no, I I don't buy I don't buy it at all, and um, I think that innovation is is critical, um, but you know, private healthcare is not the answer. I mean, to give people problem, an idea, it, go ahead, Thomas. You know, Brad, the, the problem at this point in time is that I think those are discussions that need to happen but not at this point in time. Uh, we simply don't have the medical care providers at this point in time to discuss whether they should be doing their work in a private or public setting. Uh, you know, num our number one priority is to train more doctors, attract more doctors, and retain more doctors mm -hmm. uh, and nurses and other allied staff. And with this climate that Rachel Notley is, that sorry, that Danielle Smith, I should say, is creating right now, it will be impossible to attract and retain uh, healthcare providers into this province, and you know, and this and this idea morphs also into business. Uh, you know, uh, UCP and and Danielle will, will argue during this campaign that they are better for business than than NDP will be. I don't the think fact business is, think so. Uh, that's right. You know, I just cannot imagine what foreign investment, and when I mean foreign, not only outside of Canada but also outside of Alberta, is thinking right now when they're looking. At this circus uh, that is happening within our our province when when we have a premier that is so unpredictable that her own handlers 
won't even allow her to handle a microphone and answer more than one question because she goes on a tangent, you know, where we have a disaster, literally a disaster uh, every day. It's almost like living inside of a Saturday Night Live skit every day. There's nothing more disastrous to our economy and investment than in political instability. And, and, and we haven't seen this type of political instability and unpredictability ever in the history of our province. Uh, let me ask uh, you, you know, about the it, one question thing, Thomas, because I'm curious to know, both of you obviously have had media training. Both of you have, have obviously had senior staffers that have, I suppose, counseled you on what your party's media policies would be or how you would answer questions or what your key messaging would be. I think everybody understands how all of that works. Uh, the mm-hmm. Premier's office has rolled out a new policy, they say, between now and the election. And I'll be clear, the writ has not dropped. We expect that on May 1st. Not even technically, really, election season, but obviously, Obviously, it is. Danielle Smith says there will be no follow-up questions from reporters. They're permitted to ask one question, one question only. She says it's because it's election season. They want to get to as many journalists as possible, as many questions as possible. Alberta's press gallery is pushing back on this, essentially saying it's bullshit. Uh, what do the both of you make of the policy? Thomas, have you ever seen anything like this in, in past? And do you buy the premier's explanation? It's complete bullshit, and, and that's all it is. Uh, her handlers know that she can only answer one question and she has pre-written scripted answers. And if you allow her to to go any further and if you allow her to sort of meander, uh, she's going to go on a tangent and, and say something disastrous. So they're trying to limit her time at the microphone. Notice that that how Deputy Premier and all other ministers can answer as many questions as, as they want. It is only Danielle Smith that is not allowed to answer more than one question. They're just limiting her time at the microphone. And, and, and that is simply wrong because, uh, you know, media can say, Madam Premier, what is your posi- position on this policy? And she can say, what a wonderful day we're having today. And the reporter can't say, but I asked you a different question. They're cut off. So that is that is done with 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 purpose. And, and they're trying to just, uh, you know, cut her out of the, the public dialogue. As a matter of fact, you know, if I was handling her, my advice to UCP right now would be, buy her a two-month holiday at an all-inclusive resort outside of Canada and keep her out of Alberta. Maybe you'll have a chance to in the next election. She is their her, their biggest liability. And I know for a fact that her cabinet ministers and caucus members right now are arguing to have her removed from any signage, lawn signs and everything else that they will be putting up because they know that she is their biggest liability. You're saying that you have a source that has confirmed that to you? You bet I do. Who's your source? My source. <laughs> sure, Brian, sure. Brian? Yeah, well, I, I agree with Thomas. I mean, I mean, if you can't ask a follow-up question, uh, you can evade just about every question um, very, very easily. And 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 that's the, the other major reason. But yeah, I agree. Danielle Smith, as far as we're concerned, is the gift that keeps on giving. You know, she... Um, you know, they must be pulling out their hair uh, trying to control her because she takes them off message almost every single day. Um, and, uh, you know, so she's she's I've never seen a more 
incompetent government you know i've never i've never seen it so they they appoint this guy to their multiculturalism council and they had they had previously removed him as a ucp candidate because he was a holocaust uh denier and and they appoint him and then two days later you know they have to uh they have to ask him to resign it just goes on and on and on it's the most incompetent government and and daniel smith is the most incompetent premier i think that has ever occupied that position that's brian mason uh, joined by thomas lukasik i got a bunch of people wondering if the two of you were going to go for beers after this but obviously there's a, a provincial border separating the two of you right now let me say brian the next time that you're back in the metro edmonton region we've got this beautiful studio the beers are always cold and we'd love to have the two of you here on or off the record thanks for doing this fellas we appreciate it anytime thank you thank to both you. of you good stuff there you have it political enemies and drinking buddies uh, thomas lukasik and brian mason let us know what you thought about the interview number one you can hit like on youtube if you loved it you can share the podcast link if there's somebody you know needs to hear what they had to say and of course you can send us an email anytime to talk at ryan uh, maybe a trash talk submission coming up on friday if you need to blow off a little steam i saw the live chat was churning i apologize we didn't get to all your questions but we can always bring those two back Adam Sweet joins me in studio in just two minutes time. This guy was the founding VP of policy and bylaw for the United Conservatives. We're talking four years ago. I'm curious to know if Adam thinks that that party got a fair shake from our two leadoff guests this morning. We'll find out in just a second. But first, every Wednesday, we get a chance to, to fill our lungs with fresh mountain air, so to speak, and to fill our brains with ideas on how we can explore Jasper National Park. It's My Jasper Memories, presented by our friends at Tourism Jasper. And today, I want to remind you about an incredible opportunity to visit over a century of history, dig into it, and rebel mythology. I'm talking about Harley-Davidson motorcycles what a way to explore the park. I mean, whether you're a lifetime Harley fan or you just want to see what all the fuss is about, Jasper Motorcycle Tours will kick you out in full leathers. You're going to look the part and they're going to take you to some of Jasper National Park's most iconic landmarks while riding a hog. Yeah, that's right. There's nothing like the sound of Harley Davidson. The experience, so unique. Jasper Motorcycle Tours was actually the first in North America to do Harley Davidson sidecar tours. You don't have to ride these bikes. That's right. The company's been distinguished by Destination Canada as a once-in-a-lifetime signature experience, offering local knowledge, quality gear, expert guides. The tours can last one, two, or three hours, depending what you choose. Your itinerary can be customized in terms of where you want to go. You want to see one of those iconic peaks. Maybe you want to see Pyramid Mountain at a certain time of day. Maybe you'd love to go see if you could spot some wildlife off in the distance. Now, if you have a, a proper license and an independent spirit, you can actually rent your own hog for four, eight, or even 24 hours for an extended ride, maybe off into the sunset. Now, thanks to the sidecar, all ages and abilities, including uh, folks who use wheelchairs, can participate. And, and again, I want to let you know about the website here. Again, this is jaspermotorcycletours.com. You can learn more online. Each sidecar motorcycle can carry two guests, and then you got a personal guide 
guide and a driver they can stop for photo opportunities along the way of course as well you have opportunities to switch places from the back of the bike to the sidecar so it's absolutely perfect check this out jaspermotorcycletours.com i'm showing you the website right now on my screen the company has maintained a perfect safety record since they launched it back in 2007 so they've got a great history there they have a five star trip advisor rating and a certificate of excellence again jaspermotorcycletours.com see jasper national park on a harley davidson this presented by our friends at tourism jasper well, a hell of a conversation with Brian Mason and Thomas Lukasik, and, and, and I was having fun uh, watching through the glass doors into our green room as Adam Sweet was taking in that interview. Adam's the director for Western Canada with Clean Prosperity. You're here to talk hydrogen, and we will. And we're here to talk <laughs> about the clean energy arms race, and we will. But I want to establish, first of all, your, your political credibility. You've been in this game for a long time, Adam. You've worked at the Canadian Embassy in Washington, D.C. You've worked on Parliament Hill in the Office of Canada's Environment Minister under Prime Minister Stephen Harper. Uh, you've served with SIDA uh, in uh, Kandahar City in Afghanistan. Uh, you've uh, been Chief of Staff at Edmonton Economic Development. You know what you're talking about. Uh, you've also uh, served as founding VP, founding Vice President of Policy and Bylaw for the United Conservative Party when it was first formed leading up to the 2019 provincial election. Did the UCP get a fair shake from those two? You know, I think that uh, you have an opportunity for a new sponsor, which would be Tums, because <laughs> I have got some raging antacid needs uh, right now. But, but before, I, before I comment on that, I do want to start with, you know, thanks for both Brian Mason and Thomas Lukasik for stepping into the ring and, uh, you know, serving uh, their community and their province. Uh, Brian Mason, uh, I have a huge respect for him. Uh, he is somebody who has really shown that through the through his whole life. You guys probably wouldn't agree on a lot of policy. I'm pretty sure we would be at the opposite ends of most tables. But, uh, you know, he's uh, I, I have great respect for him. And so I'm uh, yeah. There, I, I do think that there are um, there's an opportunity to really tone down the rhetoric, the rhetoric on this conversation, and actually start to look at what Alberta can become, as opposed to just relitigating stuff from the past. Mm -hmm. And I think that the more that we're focusing on that past the the more we're holding ourselves back as a province you know one of the things i really appreciate about a conversation like that is it is it reiterates that every political party and every political leader has optics around them yep. and, and a lot of folks preconceived notions that they've got to fight against so following this interview you 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 would probably have some evidence to suggest that at least a significant portion of the electorate believes that Daniel Smith is unpredictable and a liability to the party. You have uh, certainly a portion of uh, this listening audience and of the electorate that would believe that the NDP cannot be trusted with the economy. And you would have a significant portion of people uh, of the electorate that would suggest that the biggest thing that they're either fighting against or reiterating to their friends is that the United Conservatives can't be trusted with health care. I mean, these are some of the themes that political parties through campaigns have to overcome. It's true. I am looking forward to June when we're through this next election and we can start to have uh, you know conversations about Alberta really embracing the, the future economic growth that is there before us. Um, I am... I fully understand um, and have lived, as you mentioned, for many years in my life, that debate, whether it was in the States, uh, whether it was in Afghanistan or whether it was uh, here. Um, and I understand, and, and the, the ability for people to have that conversation, I think, is really important. But I think it's really incumbent upon everybody who is having that conversation to just take a breath. 
<laughs> and and to just and to really if they want to if we're going to get into this uh and we start getting into name calling and we start getting into that aggressive approach it doesn't actually do what we need to do as a province which is to focus on the future and really look at how are we going to compete for billions of dollars of investment that is on the table right now um, and I'm not trying to just like take you off the conversation to the clean energy arms race, but I think that I think this is part of the challenge that Alberta is having right now is that we we continually look to the past, look to the past. I mean, I left Alberta for a while. I'm Albertan by birth and by choice. And when I came back, I was surprised at just how much time we spend as a people relitigating stuff from the past as opposed to talking about who we want to be as a province and as a people. How would you describe today's United Conservative Party as most similar? Uh, to the party that was established and won the election in 2019? And how would you describe it as most different? Most similar and most different. Um, I think that, you know, most different is it's it's older now, right? When we were, uh, when I ran for vice president of policy in 2018, which is five years ago now and is terrifying me. That it feels was like five, a long time ago. I don't know where time is gone. Um, you know, we were, it was, it was new, right? Like, and everybody was trying to figure out their way and, and how do we ensure that we were reaching as many Albertans as possible and that there was that conversation. And I think now you have, you know, irrespective of what the last few years have been like for everybody, we've had, there's a time now where you have candidates who um, they know what it's like to door knock now. They know what it's like to um, actually participate in those conversations. And I think that you have a more mature party on both sides sides. And so I think that we could actually move to a conversation in which it's less about the politics and the personal attacks on all sides and more about policies and future forward conversations. And if that's what I would hope for. Um, you know, we're, we're I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in a role now um, and I'm we are proudly nonpartisan. I'd love to work with both sides, um, uh, both major parties in Alberta. Um, but I think that the more we can we can shift that conversation the world needs alberta to do that and there's if we don't do that we will miss a generational opportunity uh you uh are now as mentioned the director for western canada with clean prosperity people can check out cleanprosperity.ca to learn a little bit more about this mm -hmm. climate policy organization i should mention that you came to clean prosperity from goa from the government of alberta where you helped establish canada's first uh, ESG secretariat, yep. uh, working with Brad Ferguson, who you had collaborated with before at Edmonton Economic Development. It's, it's just for background for people that'll be like, oh, yeah, they're drawing lines together and figuring out how it all works. You know how climate and economic policies are formed. Yep. Uh, you know how politics plays into the mix. We don't have details in front of us right now as we do this show live at 924 Mountain Time on this Wednesday. Right. But we do understand that Alberta will be announcing a climate plan today. Let's talk about the significance of this and, and maybe some of the, the hurdles, the preconceived notions that the Alberta government has to get over. And that is that in past, if I'm being honest, Alberta has not been taken seriously on the international stage with regards to its commitments to climate policy. Is that a fair comment? Uh, fair, for sure. Um, I was listening to your intro at the start and, you know, it was, it's too bad they're not doing the emissions reduction plan after 420, but, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's... They, they probably uh, want to keep that as far away as possible from the, the comment. Two. Yeah. But, uh, no, I think that, um, I think there is... Part of the challenge that exists in this space is that, you know, conservatives, so I'm going to speak to it like from my own history, yeah. right? So when we talk about um, when I was the press secretary for the Harper, uh, Harper government, my first press conference was when we pulled out of Kyoto. So I was there during the response to resource development. I was there during the, the uh, Environmental Assessment Act changes. And the reality is that, you know, uh, and again, we are, we are nonpartisan, but 
looking at it analytically, um, the first carbon tax was created by conservatives in Alberta. Um, the first decoupling of GHG emissions from economic growth was under a conservative government in 2012, under Harper government. The most uh, protected land ever created under any history, or any, any prime minister in history combined was under the Harper government. The conservatives have actually always had a really strong, I mean, we can even go back to the, to the, to the, the, the acid rain accords. Conservatives always had a really strong record on the environment, but they haven't told that story. And one of the things that was really cleared when I was working with the ESG secretary, we were um, telling Alberta's story to major pension funds and the banks and the investors, and we could tell all the things that had been done, but their question is, where are you going? Right, and we used to talk about this with economic development. Was this you know, we'd have those uh, the, those annual impact lunches to say, where we need to go as a city. What is that vision? And when people don't have that vision, when they don't have that thing that they can look to, then they start to question what's actually happening. One thing, so I've heard um, in that the, for the climate plan that this will be an announcement that Alberta will commit to be net zero by 2050, which is huge. It, it may seem like kind of a side piece, but that is actually a, an incredible, that is the first time that Alberta will be doing that to say, we are going to be net zero by 2050. For me, the debate about whether or not we're going to embrace a low carbon economy is over. With, 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 if, the, if the Alberta Climate Plan actually commits to that, we are there and no more of this debate about whether or not this is the future for Alberta. It is, and we have to embrace it. When you say this is huge, uh, number one, optically it's huge it sends a certain message to yes. the international community i'm talking about international investors yep. what do you think is the number one thing that will that it will accomplish the number one thing i think it'll accomplish is really to to firstly to shift that debate to say that this this debate in the past about whether or not alberta is going to be you know focused solely on oil and gas or whether we're going to embrace a low carbon economy and become a diversified energy powerhouse which includes i don't be very clear about this that includes oil and gas a, low car a diversified energy powerhouse is an Alberta that is providing, um, and, and I know we can get into a whole conversation that you had last week about uh, ethical oil and those other pieces, but it does include an oil and gas that we can supply to, to deal with energy security that is needed around the world. And we can advance things like hydrogen development, carbon capture and storage. We can advance things like bitumen beyond combustion, which is an amazing story. So this is a really critical thing. I think when we think about hydrocarbons, we can't think about them solely from a thermal value. So what happens when you burn them? We also have to think about it from a chemical value. What, what could it be turned into, right? So when you look at bitumen, for example, it is a high carbon product. If you burn it, you're releasing high carbon. That's always been the, pro the biggest challenge around that. But when you look at it for something of how do we capture that carbon and turn it into carbon fibers, for example, that is actually an advantage for us as a province. Current so the carbon fiber in a BMW right now starts, um, you know, somewhere like the Middle East. That oil is then shipped to I think it's Oregon or Washington, and then it is shipped to Japan or those reverse I can never remember, um, in which is spun into carbon fibers, and then it's sent to get back to Germany, where it's turned into something, put into a car, and then shipped all over the world. We want to talk about scope three emissions. That's a lot of transportation. Sure. If we could, and, and currently Alberta, in, through Alberta Innovates, has actually created a, a, a plan and, and has not just a plan, they have commercialization um, being tested to create that carbon fiber right here in Alberta. Will you permit me this for one second? You mentioned the debate on Real Talk. Is Alberta oil ethical? We had two guests, and here, here's the rub. Here's the shameless right, promo. Right. This was our April 14th edition. It was Dr. Heather Exner-Perot from the McDonald laurier Institute and Jeanetta McKenzie from the Pembina Institute arguing, yes, 
and No, respectively. It was based on their dialogue feature in the April issue of Alberta Views magazine, which you can check out online at albertaviews.ca. I loved the debate back and forth, a really healthy respect between the two panelists that obviously came at it from different perspectives. Uh, if you're a real talker right now that would like to subscribe to Alberta Views magazine, you can check them out online, albertaviews.ca. When you go to subscribe, make sure you use the promo code AVRJ. That's Alberta Views, Ryan Jesperson, AVRJ. It knocks 50% off a one-year subscription. That's 10 issues. It makes it 20 bucks mailed right to your door. That's Alberta Views, the magazine for engaged citizens. You're killing me. I read, I didn't have the code. And I so was you paid full price. Paid full price. <laughs> I'll let them know at Alberta Views that you still subscribe because of that. Um, Adam, you talk about a global clean energy arms race. Yes. And you and I were talking a little bit off camera. I want to sort of reiterate to our audience that we you know we look at this and especially i'm a born and raised calgary kid right everyone goes well well houston our sister city and, and 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 calgary and houston and alberta and texas and and we're the same and we have this we share the same values a lot of us and, and you know, but the you know listening to you and your take on this it looks to me like texas might be alberta's number one enemy uh can we get into this I, so back to the original stuff of, of not wanting to use the words enemy and instead positive. You're not wanting to supercharge some <laughs> sort of a standoff between Alberta and Texas right now. I, uh, I've served with a lot of Americans and uh, I'm a big fan uh, of. Let's of, say they're our biggest competitor. Big, biggest competitor. Sure. I'll use a competitor. So the reality is the U.S. has brought a trillion dollars to bear on the clean energy arms race. And when I say arms race, I'm talking about where is this investment going to be for the next two, three generations? And they brought that through basically putting out cash and saying, you know what? You want to set up a hydrogen plant or like a, like the next air products in Texas, we will give you a dollar a kilogram uh, to produce that hydrogen. In Canada right now, um, even with the, uh, the stuff in the last budget, uh, you get seven cents a kilogram, which on an annual basis is about over $450 million per year. Um, in terms of extra revenue. So we're not even in the game when we're having that kind of a conversation. But at Clean Prosperity, we've actually done some analysis that has, and we've, we issued a report uh, available on our website um, that shows that if we can create certainty in Alberta's industrial carbon price market, so the tier market, we can actually get to a buck two per kilogram, and now we're in the race. Now we're having a competition about where do you want to set up in the U.S. or in a place as stable and strong and uh, I was, I was going to say as stable and strong as, uh, you know, as Alberta. Um, and that's but that comes from policy certainty, which I think is what I was trying to get to in the op-ed of talking about carbon contracts for difference. Yeah, people can check out cleanprosperity.ca. Uh, you authored this just just over a week ago. Uh, the headline federal carbon plan could boost Alberta's energy sector if province gets on board and we're seeing this story develop yeah. now i want to talk about hydrogen uh edmonton our home city is going to be hosting the canadian hydrogen convention just next, next week. week yeah uh, you're not presenting it to be clear unfortunately uh, not maybe next time I, uh, I, I was i'm fairly new to clean prosperity I, I'm, so. not, I'm not rubbing it in no it's okay i, I, I just want to be clear that you're not here just promoting it but it's just it's an interesting uh note as we talk hydrogen as we yeah. talk clean energy a lot of people are intrigued by what the future of hydrogen might look like you've indicated to me in our conversation leading up to this that you think this could be a huge boon uh, not only for attracting hundreds of millions of dollars or more in yep. investment but also in the job sector which is going to get a lot of people's attention uh, what are some of the key talking points what are some of the key takeaways for the average citizen that wants to better understand the potential of hydrogen in western canada the reason why i believe the the low carbon economy 
which includes hydrogen, is the next is 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 the economic growth strategy for Alberta. Is that you know the metal fab shops in NISCU? I want them making valves and compressors that are going to serve in the hydrogen market. You know the engineers in Calgary. I want them planning out you know not just carbon capture but hydrogen uh, uh, hydrogen plants. I want like that. That's where I see this opportunity. Is is we have massive strength as a province in building in planning things and building things, and we can do that now in areas like hydrogen. So did I understand correctly that the federal budget and, and here this is where the talk show host and me torques this the <laughs> the federal liberal budget actually does alberta some huge favors that that to be honest maybe weren't totally discussed or unveiled or talked about in 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 the analysis period that happens after every budget on the talk shows and the news broadcasts there was something in there i know that caught your eye there was a thing in there called a carbon contract for difference which is essentially um, a way to guarantee a certain price for somebody who's um, looking for an investor in low carbon. It's kind of like crop insurance, where essentially, if you wanna have an, you want to put an investment in something, there's a guarantee um, that you'll, there'll be a certain price set um, for your carbon credits uh, at a certain point in time, about 2030, tied to the, car- the industrial carbon price, not the consumer carbon tax. I know that you really, you've said this three or four times already. You say, now we are a nonpartisan group, <laughs> and I don't wanna politicize this, but it is a show that talks about news, politics, and pop culture. Right. Does it damage Alberta or Canada economically or otherwise to have conservative politicians at the provincial and federal level constantly railing against the carbon tax? What sort of a... Now, I understand that there are other methods of, uh, you know, sort of a clean economy and facilitating that and rolling it out. I understand that there are different ways to try to rein in and ultimately drop emissions. But we know that as we head into election season, Premier Daniel Smith, who will then be leader of the United Conservatives, will be talking a lot about the Rachel Notley, Justin Trudeau, Jugmeet Singh alliance. uh, She's going to be talking a lot about that carbon tax. We've seen it in past, and it's been effective politically. But in a way, as we look to influence the way that people perceive this jurisdiction, does it ultimately damage Alberta's economy? I think there is an opportunity for um, everybody on all the parties to really take a, I was gonna use the word look in the mirror, but I had that moment of going like. But everybody realizes now that Jim Prentice was right when he said it. May he rest in peace. Yeah, I just, it's, it's one of those, as the phrase comes out, you kind of go, whoa. Because right? nobody <laughs> the likes. The political staffer no, in me starts going. I get it. I start nobody sweating. Nobody likes like, to be told to look in the mirror, but every once in a while, it's true. You know, when, 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 there, is, when there are folks in Ottawa um, who, and you, you said conservatives, and I, I, would, I would respond by saying like, you could put pretty much any political party's name in that. Well, I don't see the liberals or the NDP fighting against the carbon tax. Oh, you're talking about the carbon tax, but I'm talking about the conversation of saying, how do we actually work together? And I understand like the issue about the carbon tax, but there's also an issue about finding ways for Ottawa to work with the provinces. And there's there's ways to say, you know, on the contracts for difference, for example, that is an that is an example of an opportunity where both the federal government and the provincial government work together to ensure that investors in Alberta have certainty moving forward on their investments. There is of way in which rather than everybody trying to score points and raise funds i mean mm-hmm. when we were on the board that was always a conversation right of like how do we raise funds of course i understand it i get it but i also think that there is you know we start talking about what is the purpose uh, i'm going to kind of you, you want to talk about politics so i'll flip over to this side what when we talk about the 
what is the purpose of the government? It's actually to make lives better for everyday people, everyday Canadians, everyday Albertans. And I think on both sides um, of, of the you know, of the aisle of, of the discussion of the debate, they really need to, to take a moment and say, you know, what am I here for? Why, why am I here as an elected representative? And how do I help to move things forward? And things like carbon contracts for difference is an example of how to do that. Um, it kind of goes back to the idea of just generally of service. And that's something that's really important for me. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'll kind of pause on that one. I'll say that there are challenges. Everybody needs to just tone it down take them and i recognize we're not going to do that because we're in an election right now which is why i said i'm hopeful for toning June. it down is just not effective strategy unfortunately you know it's it's almost like was like the whole bedrock of our conversation out of the gates with brian and thomas it's just, it seems that politicians now that tone it down have a tough time winning uh without maybe the exception of joe biden maybe ish yeah. like i guess i'm just comparing him to trump i yeah. don't know that joe biden totally tones it down i just think that he tones it down compared to trump I mean, I personally, yeah, I wasn't a fan when Joe Biden walks into, you know, another country's parliament and offers commentary about some of the elected representatives who are there. One calling, elected representative. Calling them out on that. I have, St. I have Albert a MP Michael Cooper. He was talking to one elected representative who was the only one who didn't want to stand to recognize gender equality. <laughs> it's not about that. As, not about as Charles issue. Adler called him on this show, the king of the incels, Michael Cooper. We're still waiting for a response on that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, I walked right into that one. I, I, I recognize that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but yeah, I don't think Cooper's doing an interview doing on this show, so I'm not worried about calling a spade a spade on that one. It was a thing. I really should have rolled my sleeves up higher for this <laughs> conversation today. Hey, listen, you talk about service, and uh, I feel like I'm – am I cutting you off on making a point before I transition? Yeah, no. So I was um, – what, I didn't remember what we were talking about. Joe Biden, I got rattled <laughs> by that one. No, I, so. just said that, I just said that I, I just think in, in, in an era of supercharged politics oh, yeah. where everybody's using flamethrowers, yep. uh, you know, nobody what's the whole thing about catching flies with sugar nobody's doing it uh, because it's proven to work the nastier you are the more you you cut throat you can't deny that Pierre Polyev his message is resonating with a whole new group of people he doubled literally doubled the membership of the Conservative Party of Canada it's working his views uh, on his videos are out of control I mean he's building this now now can he sustain it I mean it's a long runway I don't know but it's easy to see and recognize the playbook that he's using and it is to a certain degree pretty effective and the prime minister is doing him some favors too with the news about the island vacation and all that kind of stuff and Pierre Polyev is on that stuff and it's working and I don't know that you're going to convince politicians to back off from that approach at risk of Losing an election is what they care about most. The you know the, the if I had an opportunity to invest in any app or any product right now, it would be one that would target politicians' phones and disconnect Facebook and disconnect Twitter. Yeah, because I think that every time that they're going out there and they're getting that like, they're getting that you know whether it's on Facebook or they're getting that retweet that that hit of that dopamine. Uh, I think it's dopamine. You have to ask Tim Coffee. It Coffee is dopamine. Which one it is. It is, um, and it, it's legitimate, man. They do, and and but that's part of the challenge, right? You got to step away from that. You need to actually get out and have conversations. Part of the reason why I stepped onto the board for the UCP was, and why I wanted to get on policy was not to formulate policy because that's not the role of VP policy on a board. Instead, it was to create opportunities for people to bring policies forward and to have those conversations. And I think that we need more of that and less of the Twitter back and forth. I, the amount of people I mute on Twitter nowadays is 
is crazy mm. um, because I think that that is an issue that is just making this issue worse. Uh, let me get to uh, our live chat here. Just some, some great comments, obviously. And, and I apologize to our, this engaged audience that I'm just kind of <laughs> dropping in on it. I know that you've been having your own conversation here for a long time. It's why you got to tune in live to Real Talk uh, on either the Mixler audio app or, of course, here on, on YouTube. Mark says, you know, investors with dollars, he says that's not the same as broke junior oil and gas, uh, put, you know, pulling the premier's chain. He says they want responsible government, not lack of regulatory enforcement. Uh, Mark's been a real advocate for, for cleaning up uh, orphan wells. Glenna, meantime, says return on investment cannot be backstopped by federal funds. It's a risk that investors need to be prepared to take. What would you say to those? On the carbon contract for difference, if it's implemented correctly, it does not actually have any taxpayer dollars uh, like connected to Or sorry, there, there is no... Um, uh, expenditure of taxpayer dollars because what it does is it says in a carbon credit we're going to set it at a certain at a certain rate so let's say it's 150 bucks um, against a 170 dollar ton in 2030 and what that says is the government makes a a, a contract with um, a firm whether that's a small group or, or a small firm or a large firm and says if your carbon credits trade for you know over that so it's 151 you owe us a buck mm. if it's 149 we owe you a buck but here's the kicker the government can actually influence the value of those carbon credits by by essentially dealing with things like stringency and a bunch of other kind of technical pieces. But it's not unlike how uh, the government can influence the bond market by whether or not they're issuing more bonds or right. less bonds. It is a way in which we can actually create certainty like crop insurance without actually having to put out uh, taxpayer dollars. On the chat, Alberta Girl says politics has become marketing and now we're seeing more and more false marketing and I'm tired of the lies uh, what about this from GP? I appreciate this says what's sad is that taking the high road is no longer viewed as a positive character with the electorate. It actually makes you forgettable. That's an interesting take, although I've heard Michelle Obama quoted time and time again, when they go low, we go high. <laughs> just the mention of that name, you just you, you just twitched. Uh, no, I twitched <laughs> in a good way. I, I think I'm, oh, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. Uh, of Michelle Obama, and I'm a big fan of Barack Obama as well. And I, and this is like, uh, in addition to you know the conversations you and I have had in the past about service and about stepping forward. And I'm not just saying this to try to like butter you up here, but you know you step, you are in the political. I, I, the the term arena can be the man so, in the arena can the be so charged for everybody. But you know it's it's you know whether you are uh, whether whether you are volunteering, um, whether you are giving blood, whether you are you know hosting. Uh, you know, and, and, and running a, a show like this, or whether you're putting your name forward um, for public service, these are things that we need to have more of in society, um, or we're going to find ourselves. Actually, we're going to. We are not going to be able to stop the slide that's happening right now. Um, I didn't divulge this necessarily right out of the gates, but but you and I have been friends for quite some time. I think that's probably obvious in our exchange, and and I've always appreciated how you approach politics and policy. Uh, and I know you're doing it. So I mean, it sound like uh, uh, what's the Keep name? Going. Je Jesse, whatever. <laughs> But like Chris Harrison, I know that's sort of persona non grata right now in the bachelor circles, but you're in it for the right reasons, Adam. <laughs> and I want to let people know that you're a, you're a bit of an old schooler, uh, which I appreciate because I'm yeah. one of the same in that you, you gift uh, things like like handwritten cards and books that have resonated with you. And in past, uh, you gave me a book that I read poolside down in California a while ago, How <laughs> to Win an Election, an Ancient Guide for Modern Politicians. And, and you showed up today uh, with this book here, Freedom, 
uh, is it Sebastian, Sebastian, is it Junger? Younger? Younger. Sebastian Younger, Younger, uh, the New York Times bestselling author of of War and Tribe. And and in the context of of service, I'm just curious to know why this book. I think the audience might be interested. So Sebastian Younger um, is an amazing author, um, but also somebody who spent a lot of time in Afghanistan um, and somebody for whom I have tremendous respect. Um, But the reason why freedom specifically is there's a line in here um, that really, I think, we need to we need to adopt a society i think that you live and i'm not again we are friends and i and i'm not just trying to say that to 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 be kind but i really do believe you do and the line is this the idea that we can enjoy the benefits of society while owing nothing in return is infantile because only children owe nothing and for me that is something that I would like every politician, every staffer, every journalist, everybody who's involved in this to just have that conversation of saying like, you know, are are we here and creating something for society? Are we creating value for society? And if we are, great, keep going. But if we're there just doing something for ourselves and for our own egos, you can check that. Um, and let's uh, let's find a way to focus on the future. Adam Sweet is the director for Western Canada with Clean Prosperity. You can learn more about what they're doing and read his work. Uh, it's an op-ed that was originally published in the Calgary Herald, but they've got it up on the website. We'd rather send you the clicks, Adam. And, you know, Thank you. Cleanprosperity.ca. <laughs> it's good to see you, my brother. It's good to see you too. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's nice to see you here. Um, in just a second, we're going to update you on a story we talked about yesterday with Van Mala Supermanium. She's the future of work reporter for the Globe and mail there's like 150,000 federal employees set to strike today and we're going to get into the details that matter but of course these conversations don't happen without the support of uh, amazing sponsors like the family-owned team at Friesen Brothers 16 locations across the province of Alberta and they've got some really neat stuff coming up including a few birthday parties yeah that's right april 22nd if you visit them at their stony plain fort saskatchewan or edmonton stores that's coming up on april 22nd uh, you can cash in on some very special deals and help celebrate the success of these amazing locations that south edmonton store rabbit hill blows my mind every time i head in there johnny i know i'm not alone the Hicks household <laughs> also visits Friesen Brothers. Uh, we went there last night. You know, it's I just talk better lo- produce there for some reason. Is I, don't right? know, I don't know if they've got the inside track or if they've got. I don't you know. know I think part of got it a is a grocer under their wing that well, is they, close I mean, they, with them. Or they walk the walk of sourcing their stuff. And we could be talking about proteins, like, you know, all the stuff I love to talk about, the beef and the pork and the turkey and the chicken. Yeah, all the but Alberta like stuff. us, when you're but big also, on fresh veggies and... When you're plant-based, uh, Friesen Brothers mm-hmm. has an entire lineup uh, that is really worth people checking out. That South yeah. Edmonton store is just an amazing location. Again, Friesen.com, that's F-R-E-S-O-N, April 22nd, that's Saturday, the big birthday bash. Yeah, I'm curious to see if Brian Mason and Thomas Lukasik will take us up on the offer to host beers here. You know what I think we do? Maybe for our Patreon supporters, yeah. uh, maybe we just live stream the whole thing. You know, some sort of like a private. We, we'd let them know ahead of time, of danger, course. Danger, danger. We'd let them know ahead of time. Those beer fridges, the three of them in studio here, were installed by the team at Complete Care Restoration. We're probably not expecting to be celebrated for their masterful installation of beer fridges today, but the whole point is they did exactly what we needed when it came to renovating and, quite frankly, building this studio in a historic 
warehouse, 110 years old, which meant there were some challenges, including a persistent water leak. They were able to track it down and fix it so we could have confidence that all these electronics are going to function perfectly. If you're looking for a construction or renovation project to be done right with a team you can trust or... If you're facing a bit of a nightmare, mold, asbestos, fire, flood, trust Complete Care Restoration like we did, you can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. Are you a skilled professional engineer? Maybe one that's just graduating from university and you're looking for work, but you don't want to go work just anywhere. You want to work somewhere where there's purpose, where there's vision, where they put people ahead of profits. You need to check out Apex Automation. The projects that they're working on across Canada and the United States are really on the innovative side of where industry is going. They're utilizing the latest versions of technology like Thin Manager. They've got incredible installation and testing setups out of their headquarters in Edmonton, Alberta. They do stuff like this. Investing a little bit extra into testing all of the software and the hardware before it goes out into the field with their clients because it's important to them that those clients are completely satisfied. They've been opening field offices across North America to ensure that everybody, their staff and their clients are having the best possible experience. And of course, it shows they've tripled the size of their team in the last three years. They're always hiring, literally at apexautomation.ca. I'm excited to be showing you photos coming up in the weeks leading into the summer of our backyard reinvention with the team at Eden Landscaping. We're investing with Eden because we've seen what they've done bringing outdoor spaces to life over the past 20 years. You can check out their portfolio online at landscapeedmonton.ca from modern to traditional and everything in between. Eden's projects have one thing in common, that's happy clients. I was telling John earlier this week, we got our 3D renderings for the backyard. And for us, it's tough, right? Because we got little kids that want the trampoline. We got two dogs and everything that comes with the dogs. But we also want a space that the adults will love with a nice private hot tub area and a, and, and a campfire area. And they found that balance in the design that we're really excited about. And yes, John, you will be invited over once it's all complete. That's Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. Before we get to the update on a story from yesterday, I also wanted to remind you that Friday brings with it trash talk right here on the show. It's your chance to blow off a little steam. Send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. It is our most popular five minutes of every week here on Real Talk, and for good reason, from the very beginning, it's been presented by Local Environmental Services. You want to learn a little bit more about what they're doing in Alberta and Saskatchewan, including the careers that they have waiting? Check them out online at localenvironmental.ca. You can also learn more about their story. What is it that has set this company apart and contributed to its growth, bringing great service into communities that they serve? A big part of that is because they believe as a core value that communities deserve better. It's why they've got a growing client list from private industry all the way through to public services in Alberta and Saskatchewan. If you're living and making decisions in Prairie Provinces, you're going to want to check out localenvironmental.ca. Trampolines. What? (laughs) Did you have a bad experience? 
So we've we live uh, the our bedroom window is basically it's like adjacent right to uh, some bigger homes right behind us. Okay, and we we can see about seven or eight backyards. And over the course course of about a year since we've been here, it, there was one trampoline. So every Sunday the kids were jumping on it in the summer, and then the next door neighbor was like, "Yeah, that's yeah." So then there was two side by side, and then about three houses down, another one popped up just this spring. Three more in the last <laughs> week and a half. We have seven trampolines, which at any given time could have three or four bunches of kids. So every Sunday, every Saturday morning around 8 a.m., we just hear, ah, and they're throwing balls on there and they're, and they're hitting each other off and they're screaming. The dogs are out there and it's great family fun. But it's not so fun for us. Are you out there like in, in your tidy whities <laughs> picking up the rolled up newspaper off the front no, porch, I, yelling at them to get off your lawn? So our backyard faces their backyard. So I'm letting out the dog in the morning and all I hear is, oh, I'll get you. <laughs> <laughs> screaming, screaming. What's the earliest that you've heard kids on the trampoline? Oh, like like I said, 8 a.m. in 8 the morning. These okay, kids, I think feels- the parents are just like they're having coffee and they're like. Get out on the trampoline. You know, those kids have probably been awake since six, though. Exactly. The parents have probably already let them watch SpongeBob SquarePants. (laughs) Exactly. They've already had their Eggo waffles. They've already, Mm -hmm. and now it's time to get outside. And I get, I get the idea. It's very smart. They're in, they're in one position, but they're tiring themselves out. They're tiring the heck out of themselves, just jumping up and down. So they're like, go out there. They shut the glass sliding door. They have their coffee, but. My wife's like, if one more trampoline gets installed on this block, I'm you know, gonna lose it. We had we had some uh, some family friends over, and the kids are on the trampoline just the other day. And mm-hmm. these days, I know this makes me sound you know like I'm 95 years old, but <laughs> these days, uh, not to say you can't hurt yourself on a trampoline because you still can. Uh, but if you look back, I mean, the changes ours now has like obviously this stuff everybody's does these days with mm-hmm. like the netting and all the, the cage around it. You know, the, so yeah. so really you can sort of have that confidence. I mean, the kids can still bonk into each other. They can still whatever. But we were laughing, me and my buddy, like back in the day. Remember, everybody had the friend that had the trampoline that had like. There was no netting. There was like no padding around it. It was just the open springs. There was a, yeah, there was a like gap. Pavement. There was a gap between the actual like rubber and and then there was a, the springs all around and you could fall. You could fall and like do the splits in between. Oh, it. you could you launch could, like, off the trampoline. You could like if you <laughs> yeah. if you look back, it's like I'm trying to think of all the things. I mean, I know I grew you up. Think of all you know, the I'm stuff. forty. I'm forty six now, mm-hmm. so like I can I can remember back when lawn darts. Some parents, not my parents, but parent, you know, people smoking in cars with the windows rolled up. Mm-hmm. Kids are like laying in the back of the rear windshield, like nobody's seat belted in. Lawn darts. I mean, all the you know, all Arch- the stuff like kids archery. I remember there were like bow and arrows when I was younger. You could just buy like for like eight year old kids at the store. It's just ridiculous. Like- oh, how things have changed. Uh, wonderful conversation yesterday. It was it was her debut on Real Talk. Uh, Venmala Supermanium, who's the future of work reporter for the Globe and Mail. I was so impressed by her. The way that she can take a story when you're talking about like you know collective bar. Bargaining. You're, you're talking about this this union, PSAC, Public Service. What is it? Public Service Alliance? I can't something like that. Anyway, but PSAC, this big union mm-hmm. that represents like hundreds of thousands of workers, um, really going to Ottawa with an ask. It's a contract that if you ask the workers. Uh, and they're not wrong. Mm-hmm. They'll say we've been waiting for this for two years. Uh, they've been waiting on this deal for two years. And uh, yesterday, uh, we pointed out that by 
today, if you're listening to this on Wednesday, 150,000 workers could strike. So ultimately, let's be honest, we're all kind of selfish. Our world all kind of like operates around our own orbit. The number one question is, well, what does this mean for us? And she had pointed out to us, of course, that, you know, if you're applying for a passport, if you're filing your taxes, if you're awaiting news on maybe a loved one who's hoping to immigrate to Canada, there could be major delays. And the update, uh, as reported in the Globe and Mail this morning, is that there was no deal, which I'm sure will serve as some surprise to a lot of people, including Van Mala, who had this to say yesterday about what's at stake. A strike will further exacerbate this. So I think it would be quite unpopular to not meet the demands of the union in a way. On the other hand, asking for a 13.5% increase over three years is quite an unprecedented amount if you look at the history of wage asks of unions. And it's only happening because we've seen inflation and unions feel they have a bargaining chip. So delays, delays on things like processing tax returns. Now, to be clear, I was sort of thinking, well, does this mean we've got a little more leeway on filing our taxes? (laughs) I Absolutely not. I got mine done. I was like, I don't want to think about this. Oh, buddy, you're one step ahead of me, pal. (laughs) April 30th is still the deadline to file your taxes. But if you're waiting for a refund, a rebate, if Mm -hmm. you're waiting for money back, you're probably going to be waiting longer, depending on how this plays out. If you're waiting to get a passport, this could have a real impact. And the immigration backlog, which is what Van Mello was talking about, it's going to get even worse. Now, of course, all of this depends on whether or not a deal is struck. Uh, some of you are reporting here in our live chat that as we're doing the show, that picket lines are already going up. Shout out to MS2020 for letting us know about that. We'll stay on the story and we'll keep you posted. If you want to hear that interview with Van Mala yesterday, you can find it in our podcast archives. And of course, you can also find it on our YouTube channel. Thanks to everybody that's subscribing to our YouTube channel. We're up like 500 people just this past month alone. And it's great to see that resonating. We love Love when you tell your friends about your favorite daily independent Western Canadian based talk show. That's real talk. As mentioned, coming up on tomorrow's show, uh, kind of a uh, two pronged approach, if you will, to 420, uh, the annual celebration of cannabis. Of course, it's changed over the years now that it's legal in Canada. We're going to ask Canada's so-called princess of pot, Jody Emery, how her 420s have changed. Plus, Health Mythbuster, Professor Timothy Caulfield says there's actually no evidence to suggest that CBD works. I already know that some of you are going to disagree. Make sure you join us. That's Thursday morning right here on Real Talk. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, executive producer Josh Dunford, technical producer John Hicks. General Manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account Coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.